Good to be with you this morning, certainly grateful for the presence of each one. Glad that you're able to be here, that you chose to be here, that you made it important to you to be here. And I uh, want to express my appreciation to the congregation here for, uh, for your efforts, for your labor of love in this community, for your concern for the gospel of Christ and your support of evangelistic work all over this earth. Appreciative of that, appreciative of the support uh, that you've given uh, me, my family, as we strive to uh, labor uh, evangelistic efforts here in this country, and want you to know how grateful we are for that. Uh, we, we send you a letter to tell you thanks, and that seems like such a small thing to do. We strive to, to show and express that appreciation by, by being diligent in the work that you help support us to do, and we, we are appreciative and grateful to you as a congregation for that. As was expressed this morning, we're grateful for the mothers uh, in this congregation. I, I recall Growing up in a small congregation in the Panel of Texas in Perryton, uh, one of our elders there, Brother Leatherman, uh, would almost always preach on Mother's Day uh, morning, and he had a he had a poem that he would that he would read, and you could tell as he recalled his mother, he would he would generally tear up and uh, express that the great love and appreciation that he had for his mother, and uh, I. I'm mindful of that as I stand before you this morning. I, as I thought about what I would preach about on, on Mother's Day, I, I didn't have a good Mother's Day sermon per se. As I kind of scrolled through my, my list of sermons and things like that, but I thought, what, what do I desire for my mother? I think of uh, the evangelist Timothy in the Scripture and how that he had known the Holy Scriptures from a child, Paul said. And that they were able to make him wise in a salvation. And it, it was because of the faith of his grandmother and his mother that he had known those holy scriptures from a child. And that uh, being the case with myself, I, I express great love and appreciation. And I uh, desire for my mother, my wife as a mother, for all the mothers here uh, to, to be blessed for that and to realize how, how important of a, of a task and a job that is and and to hope that you feel appreciated and know that you are appreciated this morning. I've chosen to speak about uh, the love of Christ that comes from a passage in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to grab your Bible and follow along with us in Ephesians 3 and verse number 14. As the Apostle Paul writes to the uh, church at Ephesus, he expresses a, a prayer, I guess you might say. He, he lets them know that he's been praying for them and what his desire and his request to God is for them. And so I want to look at that a uh, few verses there in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through about verse number 21 and get our thoughts from there this morning. So we'll pick up reading there. Uh, if you can see that on the screen, uh, if not, if you want to follow along in your Bible in verse number 14, where the Scripture says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And so the apostle expresses uh, this desire. He says that you might be strengthened with might in the inner man. 
And certainly that would be my desire for my wife, for my children, for myself, for all my brothers and sisters in Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that through the confidence and conviction that you have in Christ, that he might actively work in your life, that you be rooted and grounded in love. And he says to know, to comprehend and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, which was, that was a struggle for me uh, as I, I studied this passage. How do you know that which passes knowledge? And that was kind of the uh, thing that provoked me into further study of this passage. To the ultimate end, he said that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so many, as they go through this life, they're in a pursuit. One of the prophets described the, the vain pursuits of this life. He said, you gather money to put it in a bag that has holes in it. And so many people are going through this life, they're seeking fulfillment, and they don't find it because they're seeking it in the wrong places. And they seek to be filled with that, those things that, that can't fulfill, that can't bring contentment, and can't bring all the fullness of God. And so if we... Uh, study this passage, if we put it into application in our hearts and our lives, then we can have that, that desire that the apostle expresses here for these brothers and sisters, that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And so that's the purpose, the intent of our study this morning. I want to look at a couple of definitions as we studied. He says that you might be rooted and grounded in love. And pointing to the, the fact, the reality that love is and ought to be the foundation of, of what our lives uh, are built upon. Uh, those words appear very similar to me as I looked up, did the word study. Basically, uh, the illustration that kind of comes to my mind is when you start a construction project where you have a foundation. And that's what the, the word grounded means. It means to lay the foundation. This, this word rooted means to cause to strike roots. Roots are that which is below the ground. So the foundation of a structure sits on top of the ground, whereas what we might call the footings or the piers, they drill holes down and, and pour piers, or they uh, cut a, a large trench maybe around as a footing for that foundation. It's that which is below the foundation that, that stabilizes and strengthens that foundation. And both of those are pointing to love, that you might be rooted, that what's below the surface might be rooted in love, and that what everything else is built upon would be built upon a foundation of love. And that really ought to cause each of us to examine our motives, our, our thoughts, our hearts, as we uh, look at everything that we do in this life. Why do we do it? In verse number 18, he says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height. And this, this particular verse had me questioning my geometry a little bit. I know there's a, a lot more uh, mathematically educated individuals than I am. I, uh, did study a little bit of mathematics as I went through college and things like that. And it got me thinking, what, what, what are we looking at here? What is the point? What's the idea of the passage? And I believe that the idea is for us to take time to ponder, to think about these different dimensions of God's love. And I believe that uh, much like the, the algebra that so many of us dislike <laughs> and, and would rather not study, that, that these labels are really somewhat arbitrary. We might be able to label uh, these dimensions of, of God's love X, Y, and Z if you're, if you're into that or if you want to label them by a number or if you want to label them length, width, and height and think of them in, in these different dimensions. We're going to start by just observing one aspect or one dimension of God's love, of the love of Christ, and to think about that for a minute as we strive to comprehend. 
And what I believe that word means when he says that you might be able to comprehend the love of Christ is that you might be able to wrap your mind around intellectually the love of Christ. And I think that's something that's very, actually, elementary, something that's very basic, something that we can always grow upon. But to wrap your mind around the love of Christ and how vast it is. And that's what we want to take note of. That's the point of going through these elements this morning is that we stop and reflect on just how vast the love of Christ is so that it might affect us and work in our lives. When we think about this dimension that we call width or uh, breadth in the King James, um, we might put that or, or turn that into the form of a question and ask the question, who does this great love of Christ extend to as we consider one dimension of Christ's love? We see in the scripture, uh, when we read the Great Commission here in Matthew 28, of verse number 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so immediately as we begin to study the love of Christ, we see that it is a message that's for all. It's for everyone all over the face of the earth. And so it's pretty quick, pretty simple, elementary to see who the love of Christ extends to, that it extends to every nation under the sun. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all died. We see that the sacrifice of Christ was a sacrifice that was for all. It was for everyone that he made that sacrifice. And so we see a very extensive Love of Christ. In Galatians 3, verse number 28, he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, while the Scripture does expressly and specifically teach the gender roles and uh, things of that nature, this is talking about spiritually in Christ. Neither male nor female. Every race, every social or what we might call economic class, both genders, the love of Christ extends to every single one. And so when we think about that plane, we realize that it continues on in both directions without end. And it's extremely extensive that this love of Christ would apply to all, to each and every one. And we ought to think about that, and as we build upon this concept of the love of Christ, we begin to examine another dimension that we might call length for the purpose of our study. And we put that in the form of a question and say, to what extent does Christ love everyone? Every nation, every social class, every, uh, each gender, and so on and so forth. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so we see that the love of Christ is to such an extent that it provides that which is needful. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, many uh, in this world would proclaim their love for others while failing to provide them with what they need the most. And see, love provides that which is needful. And the love of Christ was to an extent that it provided all of the things that were needful. And that teaches us of the love of Christ. It teaches us how our love ought to be in Psalms 84 and verse number 11. He says, For the Lord God 
is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've heard this passage quoted many times. I think a lot of times a, probably a misapplication is made in the idea of some sort of social gospel or idea that just whatever you want, if you, if you love God, he'll give it to you and you'll just have every desire of your heart. And that's not what the passage says, is it? It says no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You know, it's not up to you and I to define what's good. And some things that we might not think about as good, the Lord provides those. Things like discipline and correction. We don't typically enjoy those. That's not joyous for the present. But that's, those are good things. Things that we need, and the Lord provides those things. He provides love to the extent of supplying everything that's needful. Isaiah 55 and verse number 7 says this, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him t- return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think we reference this passage from Isaiah quite a bit, talking about the Lord's ways being higher than our ways and his thoughts being higher than our thoughts. And I think a lot of times we don't realize the immediate context of that passage is about his abundant mercy and pardon. And when we think about the extent that the love of Christ, the love of God uh, has and, and shows toward us is that which we need the very most, this abundant mercy and pardon that he pours out in abundance upon us. That over and over and over again you mess up. You sin against God. You fail to do His will. You know what to do and you don't do it. And abundant mercy and pardon is supplied from our Heavenly Father. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. And He loves to an extent to provide for that which is the most needful for you and I in great abundance. As we continue to look at this and consider another dimension of, of the love of Christ, we might label this dimension depth, and we get into this, this third dimension, and we uh, consider further the love of Christ, and we might put this question up there, in what manner does Christ love us to these, these great lengths and depths? In John 3, verse number 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word so here being the word we want to notice for just a moment this morning. It means in this manner. God in this manner loved the world. What is that manner? That he gave his only begotten son. And that's the uh, manner that he loved us in was a manner that was willing to sacrifice that which was most precious. And when you think about that and look at that passage of scripture in that light... How much did he love the world? That much. And his willingness to sacrifice and allow to be sacrificed his beloved son. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He said, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. 
And so this man or this willingness to sacrifice was even to the extent that it extended to enemies. Those that while they were sinners, while they were contrary to him, while they were against him, he was willing to die, to sacrifice himself for them. As he goes on into another dimension of God's love, I'm, for the purpose of our study, I'm going to liken that to time, where you put a three-dimensional object on, on the scale of a timeline, and you go from just these, these three dimensions where you go into the past and the present and the future. And you think about this vast love of God and all its dimensions and how huge it is and how far that it extends in every direction, and then you stretch that out over infinity which is difficult concepts to, to wrap your mind around initially, but just as far as the concept of time without end, not having beginning and not having end, you can wrap your mind around that concept intellectually and think about God's love spanning the entire timeline of eternity. And all of its vastness and all of its uh, extent that God's love is timeless like that. Moses said this, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. All throughout time, God's love has been there. This great, vast love of God. In Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, before the world was spoken into existence by God, a sacrifice had been put into place. That's what this passage points to. The lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. You see, God knew the end of the thing from the beginning. And he knew we would be contrary to him. He knew that you would sin against him and that you would need to be saved from yourself, from your sins. And he provided for a sacrifice to be made. In Matthew 25, verse number 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So not only was a sacrifice put in place the beginning before the, before the creation, a dwelling place was there from the foundation of the world. And I think back to my first child being born, been a few years back now, and I think about the preparations that we made in the, in when we were expecting that child, and we got that room ready, and we made a place for him to dwell and to, to sleep and to be a part of our home and our family. And I can see that, and I can wrap my mind around that, and then where I struggle a little bit to maybe wrap my mind around it is to think about preparation being made in that manner for a place to, to dwell. And then the things that, that as, a, as a young man, I, I didn't even have the, the foresight to think about or see to begin to prepare for all of the things that that child would need through its life. I didn't even have the wisdom to understand what all of those things would be. But God had made preparation before the foundation of the world to provide for all the things that those children would need all through their life. The sacrifice they would need to be saved from their sin. And now think about preparation being made for a child that you would know beforehand would be a child that would kill your child and be your enemy and be against you and be contrary to you. 
and making before the foundation of the world preparation and providing for everything that that child would need. As you think about how vast the love of God is and how that it's timeless and how that it goes on without end. You know, when we try to comprehend it, it's, it's not difficult to wrap your mind around those, those pr- principles that we find in the Scripture uh, this morning. Maybe one of the more difficult passages personally is to say, why would God love me to that kind of extent? That's a little bit more difficult personally. Someone who was a sinner, someone who's so vile, someone who knew better and did it anyway. Someone that had access to the information that they needed and ignored it and rejected it. Someone who rebelled against him and did it again and again. And the scripture answers that question too, and it's fairly straightforward principle. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And the, the answer to that is that that's who God is. That's his character, that's his nature, that he is a God of love. He tells us what love is, and he shows us what love is with his action, and his kindness, and his willingness to have abundant mercy and pardon, and all the things that we've talked about and read from God's word this morning. And so that's the reason why that God would love me, why that he would love you, why that he would love the vilest of sinners, because that's who he is. And he would provide for all those things. Now, of course, he gets to define those terms and say what all of that is. And so when we think about what the apostle said, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, when we think about comprehending it, we can do that. We can wrap our mind around it. But to know the love of Christ means something else. And to know the love of Christ, when you look up that word, um, it means to be acquainted with, to get acquainted with. To know, and some of you, you could probably think of some of the different uses of that word in the scripture. To know. To know the love of Christ. To become acquainted with it. You see, that goes beyond just wrapping your mind around concepts. That can't happen with just book study. That has to happen by application and practice. And so, in order to know the love of Christ... You have to practice the love of Christ. And that's when we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And we can have the kind of fulfillment that God wants us to have and desires for us to have. In Acts 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What could be more blessed than receiving the love of Christ? Well, it has to start there, but then when you turn around and you extend and you give Christ-like love toward others, that's blessed too. There's blessing in that. And that's what he's talking about when he says knowing the love of Christ. And so this morning we'd ask you if you've been a recipient of the love of Christ, if you've been a recipient of the sacrifice that was made there at Calvary, if you've been recipient of the offer that God's extended to you of salvation. In Titus chapter 3 and verse number 3, he says, For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, 
which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and been a recipient of this extensive love of God to its fullest uh, extent, that the, the mercy and grace and the, the blessings of God, that some of which appear to all and others of which are reserved for those who are in Christ. And being baptized into Christ, you can be a recipient of that fullness of God's mercy and abundant pardon. When you think about have you given to know the love of Christ, to extend that to someone else, I want you to think about that in all these dimensions that we talked about this morning. A multidimensional love of Christ that extends past, present, future, it goes across the timeline, that effectively has been working from the foundation of the world and continues to work and will continue uh, throughout eternity. And think about how you allow that or how you prohibit that from working effectively in your life with your actions, your thoughts. Do you extend the love of Christ without respect of persons? In Acts 17, 26, he that made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You know, I've, I've actually heard people try to defend racism and talk about being raised that way, and that's the environment that I grew up in. And you know what? If you were raised that way, and that's the environment that you grew up in, it's time to grow up in Christ, and it's time to get over it. And it's time to push that out of your heart and let that be replaced with the love of Christ. There's no excuse for a Christian to have racism. To look at one race as, as better or superior than other, that's, that's so contrary to the love of Christ and what's clearly stated in his word. And so let the love of Christ push that out and be able to look upon the world without respect to persons. In James 2 Verse number one, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. If they're coming to your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and they're coming also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saying to him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, and sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? To have respect of persons based on their social status or their economic status. And, and a lot of people try to apply this like, it, like it's a one-way street. Like, well, you know, rich people look down on poor people. But that's not true. That's a two-way street. I've met plenty of poor people that look down on people that were that better off financially than them. Looked down with contempt upon them. There's no place for either one of those in Christianity. There's no place for respect of persons. That ought to be driven out by the love of Christ. We ought not to be partial in ourselves and prefer one uh, social or economic class above the other. 1 Peter 2, 17, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. You know, when we talk about chauvinism or sexism or whatever label that you might want to put on it, there's no place for that in Christianity. Honor all people. That doesn't mean that you show disregard or disrespect for God's teachings, these subjects. But you show honor to everyone. 
That's a command of God. And you can make whatever excuses that you wanted to make, or you could submit yourself to God, to the love of Christ, and you could show respect and honor for everyone and glorify God by doing that. To what extent are you willing to extend the love of Christ? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Are you a person who seeks mercy, who's willing to abundantly pardon? Are you a person who, I'll, I'll, I'll extend a little bit of mercy, but mostly I prefer justice when I've been wrong. Blessed are the merciful. James 2, verse number 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What kind of judgment do you desire as you stand before Christ on that great final day? Will you demand justice on that day, or will you desire mercy on that day? And what are you going to have as you go through this life? Are you going to extend the love of Christ in that way, in that manner? James 2, 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body. What profit? What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. You extend the love of Christ in a way that is willing to provide for that which is needful. You know, people need food, clothing. We have an idea a lot of times that we need so much more than that, but people need food and clothing. If we see someone that's in need of food, we're to love to that extent to provide that which they need. But it shouldn't end there with the physical needs. In Hebrews 12, verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. A lot of times we're willing to love to the extent to say, oh, you need some food? Here, here's food. Here's all the food that you can handle. You need clothes? We've got bags and bags and boxes and boxes of clothes. Here's gift cards. Go buy all the clothes you need. And then when they need correction and instruction and reproof from the Word of God, say, well, that's not really my business. That's not really my place. And maybe that's an indicator of a lack of a willingness to extend the love of Christ as God extends his love in the way that's willing to provide all the things that are needful. And the opportunities that we have to provide things for physical needs that individuals have, the, the pattern we see in the scripture is that when those opportunities presented themselves, then they were used as opportunities to provide for the spiritual things that were needful as well. And so do we extend the love of Christ in that way? 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do those things. Scripture speaks of Jesus and of him looking toward his multitude. It says he was moved with compassion. That's allowing that compassion to, to produce action, to work in our lives. It's one thing to, well, I feel bad for that person. And it's another thing to do something about it. 
and to be moved with compassion? And do you allow the love of Christ to work in your life like that? Is it timeless in your heart? When you think about the love of Christ being there throughout all generations. Ephesians 4, verse number 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor or shouting and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You know, when we started our study, we read that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And I hear people make these decrees and say, well, some things you can never get over. Some things you could never forget. If you have been through what I've been through, then maybe you would understand. And I think there's oftentimes these arbitrary decrees made about what can never happen. I think that you might be very pleasantly surprised about how powerful God's love is and how much it can work in your heart and your life in putting away of bitterness and anger and envy and these things that he's talking about here. But if you've made the decree that you can never forgive, that you can never forget, then you won't. But if you're willing to allow the love of Christ to work in your heart, to let it reach back into the past and say, I'm going to put those things away. I'm going to put that bitterness away. Because the kind of love that God, the kind of love that Christ has shown me requires that I have that kind of willingness to put that bitterness away. Then it can work effectively in your heart and open up doors of opportunities. And really the one who is suffering the most from that bitterness that's in your heart is you. And the love of Christ, if you'll allow it to work in your heart like you should, like it ought to, it can take care of that. And, and address that and help put that away and put it, in, put it out of your life. Present day in 1 Peter 4 and 8, it says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What's at the top of your priority list? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your energy? Above all things have fervent charity. Do your priorities line up the way that they should? The love of Christ working in your life. Are you becoming acquainted with the love of Christ each and every day by the way that you live, by the way that you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way that you treat those in the world around you? Is it working timelessly in your heart in the future? How can the love of Christ work in the future? In James chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, and we shall live and do this or that. You know, we make plans, don't we? We make plans to go on vacations. We make plans to go on trips. We make plans to be here at this time, to have this gathering at this time, this, that, and the other. Do we make plans to share the love of Christ with others? Are those types of things written on our calendar? Are those things that we make a conscious effort, plan to do this? This is talking about being mindful that there's life's uncertain. We can do that. Do we do that with the love of Christ and a willingness to show that to others? To love as Christ loved. In John 13, verse number 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you love one another. Again, in John 15, this modification, as I have loved you. And that's the reason that we've studied 
the love of Christ this morning. A topic that we could barely scratch the surface of in any, any amount of time, but that we think about it, and we think about wrapping our mind around the concepts intellectually, and then we reflect on that to the question of, do you know the love of Christ? Are you acquainted with it? In that way that you extend it to others and you practice love the way that Christ loved you. That it effectively works in your lives on a daily basis and that you'll allow it to work even in your heart to help you overcome difficulties and challenges of things past. That's the reason that I wanted to present these thoughts to you this morning. That you, like the Apostle Paul, desire for the Ephesians might be strengthened with might in the inner man. That you might be built up in the faith and that you might continue to endure, to finish your race, to finish your course, to fight the good fight. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That the confidence and conviction that you have in Christ might work effectively in your life. Actively in your life. That you may be able to comprehend that you think about that intellectually, the love of Christ. That you might be familiar with it and acquainted with it. That to this end, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's my uh, desire, my prayer for the mothers, for my mother, for my wife, for my family, and for you brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. And if you're here this morning and you have any kind of spiritual need, we never like to close a service without extending the Lord's invitation to you. The opportunity to obey the Lord, to obey the gospel, to obey the Lord in baptism is, is available, and this congregation stands ready to assist those who desire to do that. Or if you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ for a spiritual need that you have. We stand ready to serve one of either class. If you let that be known behind the seat on one of the front pews while together we stand and sing.